Good day. Okay, uh, have you ever had things happen in your life that you can't figure out what God's doing? That uh, you don't like it, and you can't understand it, and you're a little disappointed, maybe mad, at what you thought God should do, or what he would do, and it didn't happen that way. And it happens to all of us. And that's the story we're in today. Today we're talking about Lazarus. And the story of Lazarus, I'm entitled, it's the greatest gift. And the, the greatest gift is not life, uh, but the greatest gift is the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. It is the eternal gift. It will indeed be the gift that keeps on giving. The very definition of eternal life will be, we're not going to sit around on clouds playing harps. Uh, because even though in eternity it's not time, it's the absence of time, but that would, I would think that would get boring pretty quickly, right? <clears throat> but that's not what it's about. Eternity is going to be what begins when you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Jesus Christ begins in a knowing of who Jesus is. You come to understand that Jesus loves me and he died for me on the cross. And he begins this process of through your life, often through your darkest times, of revealing himself to you. And that is eternal life. That's going to be the joy of heaven. The joy of heaven is going to be one, one more followed after another of us going, wow, wow, wow. I mean, when you think about it, you think, if the created universe can wow us, I mean, you know, you go and you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you, and you go, wow. How much more the one who spoke these billion universes into existence. So, the greatest gift. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. We've already met Mary and Martha earlier uh, in the Bible. Uh, Mary and Martha. Martha is feeding uh, Jesus, and Jesus is at, at her house, and Mary is at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus, and Martha is kind of bothered that Mary's not helping and so she complains to Jesus, and Jesus said, well, there's only one thing needful. So we see that there, before this time, there's a relationship that they have with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Is sick. So... <clears throat> We see here, it says very clearly, they're saying the ones who love Jesus send a message and say, we love Jesus, and they send a message to him, Lazarus is sick, you need to come and heal him. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
So it's for the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God. Now, Jesus loved Martha, so they loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait a minute. Right? He stayed two days longer. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loves them, and the way he shows that he loves them is that he doesn't run to heal Lazarus. He waits two days more, and during that period of time, we'll later find out that Lazarus died. So if he loves, if he loves him, why doesn't he rush to save him? I mean, why doesn't he do what we would expect him to do? Right? Because Jesus is going to use this sickness. The purpose of this sickness is for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus. John Piper uh, said it this way. He, He does not mainly love us in this life by sparing us suffering and death. He mainly loves us by showing us and giving us himself and his glory. God loves us mainly by giving us himself. And all that he is for us in Jesus. Jesus loves us mainly by giving us himself and all that God is for us in him. Don't measure the love of God for you by how much wealth, health and wealth, and comfort he brings in your life. If that were the measure of God's love, then he hated the Apostle Paul. Measure God's love for you by how much of himself he shows to you. How much of himself he gives you to know and enjoy. So God reveals himself. There's the greatest gift that God can give you. The greatest gift that God gives us is a revelation of who he is, that we have a greater understanding of who he is. So sometimes we are living in the so. <laughs> so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days. We're living in what to us doesn't make sense. Because that's not how we would do it. Right? So we define love by our terms because for us, our interpretation of love is often give me what I think is best for me right now. God, give me what I think is best right now. Although we really don't know what is best for us, but we think we know. And I don't know about you, but what I want is comfort and ease. Is that what you want? So, but they may not be what I need. God's interpretation of love is always to give us what we need, what we want, and in the process of giving us what we need and not what we want to ultimately bring glory to himself. This is what John said and Jesus said in John 14. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. So how does God show us his love? 
by giving us the gift of himself. The greatest gift that God can give you is the gift of himself. The greatest treasure in the universe is God. And the greatest gift that God can give you, we call salvation the greatest gift because it begins with a relationship and a knowledge of him. So the greatest gift that God can give you is that he can give you a greater revelation of himself. And I will tell you that often that comes in our darkest and most difficult times. Then after this, he said to his disciples after the two days, Let's, let us go to Judea again. They had left Judea uh, because they were trying to kill Jesus. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now just seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? He said, Jesus, I don't know if you remember this, but they were trying to kill you, and we might get included in that, so we're voting no on Judea. Let's all take a vote because we know that God rules by democratic principles, right? And let's see if we can vote in the will of God. And Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him, which if the disciples were like you and I, they probably said, what? What's he? Okay. What did he say? If you walk in the day, you're in the day. And if you walk in the night, it's night and you stumble. And what does that have to do with going to Judea and getting killed? Right? Basically what Jesus said, if you're in the will of God, you are safe. And I'm putting that in, that's air quotes. You're safe where you're going. Now, in other words, Jesus was saying, yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> and you don't know this and you don't understand this, but they're going to kill me. But we got three more weeks. It's not going to happen for three more weeks. Jesus is three weeks away from the cross. He knows that his death is coming, but he knows it will not happen outside of the parameters of both the promises of God, the prophecies of God, and the will of God. He knows it's coming, but he knows, he knows that Satan can't kill him. He knows that he has to lay down his life willingly. So he understands. He said, so I, I'm walking in the light. I'm, I see where I'm going. He said, if you're not in the light, you can't see where you're going. You're going to stumble in the darkness. If you can't do God's will, you'll never do God's will because you're in the darkness. No matter where you're going, you're lost if you stumble in the darkness. This he said, and after he had said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. And basically what they're thinking is that, you know, if he's getting rest from a physical standpoint, they're not thinking of him being dead. They're thinking of him being sick and that he's, oh, he's resting. And if he's resting, he's going to get better. He'll recover. Now, Jesus 
had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. (laughs) Which I think a lot of times we don't get what God's saying. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So he said, I'm glad for your sakes that you're going to get to see Lazarus being raised from the dead. They don't know that's going to happen yet. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go so that we may die with him. A lot of times we make bold statements that we think we mean. And we don't know that we don't mean them until we're faced with the reality of them. Often it takes the test. The Bible calls it the testing of your faith. Often often it is the test of difficulty or challenge or death that all of these guys, all of these, the disciples of Jesus, all of them, when it came to the true test on the night that he was betrayed, they all denied him. When it came to the long-term test after the resurrection, all of his disciples died for him. They all didn't follow him and die. Timeline was not what they expected. Now Lazarus had died. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. The Jews mourned for seven days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Mary stayed at the house. No, I'm sorry, I skipped something. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Doesn't that seem strange? Martha went out to meet him. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. Now, Lazarus has died. And uh, dying's hard. I've uh, been in this job now about 40-something years. Uh, I have been at the bedside of a lot of people that are in the process of dying. It's not easy. It's, uh, it's hard to die sometimes. So he had gone through the pain. Lazarus had gone through all of the pain, all the dip- difficulty of dying. Uh, his sisters had watched him die, which is also very painful. Not only the, not only the dying suffer, but the people who are a part of the dying process suffer. And uh, they've gone through the pain of watching their brother die. They're in pain. And now they're mourning his death. Now, I think when we read this, I believe that Martha is a little ticked off at Jesus. Because he didn't come when they expected him to come. In other words, Jesus didn't answer the request the way They expected him to answer the request. You ever found that to be happening in your life? Tick you off a little bit? 
Because a lot of times, you know, the Bible tells us that God does things, everything, after the counsel of his own will. In other words, God's not asking you how to do stuff. <laughs> but we like to tell him. God, if you'll align this and this will happen, and if the check will come in by the 12th, I'll pay the bill on the 13th, and we'll be good, and nothing will happen. God, if, you know, if I get the job, and then, you know, we, and we can lay out the plan, and we'll just, you know, say this, okay, God, like, do it. And he doesn't. Basically, it seems like when you do that, that God says, oh, watch this. We ain't doing none of that. Nothing of that's happening. So we, we often pray. We're not praying God's will. We're praying our will. We're asking God to do things our way. So they're ticked off. They asked Jesus to come. He could have come. He was available to come. He could have come and, and possibly made it in time for Lazarus to be healed. Uh, they, believed that Jesus, they believed that Jesus could heal him. They were, didn't necessarily expect him to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead. They had a limitation on who they believed Jesus was. So they're angry. Martha's angry. Martha is, if you read the story of Mary and Martha, when Martha's serving and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha is the... Is the uh, is the uh, structured one, you know, that's getting, getting, making sure all the jobs are done, the organized one, the orderly one. And Mary is the more emotional person. Both those personality types are right. There's nothing wrong with that. They're just different personality types. So here Martha, she's upset. She's coming out to Jesus. She's upset. She said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You've, you've let us down. And so, you know, she could have said, Jesus, you remember when you came to the house, you know, and I fed your disciples all those times? Remember that? Remember the, you know, the buffet we had to set up for your 70 disciples that always followed you around? You remember that? You remember when uh, Lazarus was given money to help your ministry? If you'd come when we asked you to come, he would not have died. And one of the things I want you to get you can never create a debtor relationship with God. Amen. Nothing you ever do for God will ever make God owe you anything. You can give all your money today and it won't make any difference in the will of God how it works out in your life. We want to... We want to manipulate God. We want to do things that we think will manipulate God. God is unmanipulatable. Man, we don't like that. <laughs> you say, well, then, oh, I'm glad to know that. I'm not going to give anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm free. You always have been. Everything we get from God is a grace. It is a gift. It is not an obligation that he is fulfilling. There will be a day that you and I will have gone the last mile of the way. And when we've gone the last mile of the way, we will stand before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I long to hear him say to me, well done my good and faithful servant. 
enter into the joys of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that each of us will, for what we have done, receive rewards, a crown. But if you follow the story through, you know what we do with those crowns? We take them off and throw them at the feet of Jesus because we recognize that he doesn't owe us. It was a grace. It is a gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. It is, it is not bestowed because we earned it because he was paying us dues. It was just his goodness that we made it. If we accomplished anything, if we did anything, it was because of him. It was because his salvation at work in our hearts. It was because of the Holy Spirit that was changing us. It was because his will being performed in us. It wasn't something that we cooked up. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She said, you know, I know that eventually, eventually he's going to rise again like we're all going to be resurrected. All of us are going to be resurrected eternally in God. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Now, what Jesus is saying here says, you guys don't know this, but something's about to happen. About three weeks. Something's about to happen. And death is going to be changed. Because I'm going to defeat death. And death will be changed for every believer. Every believer this is what's cool about this is that Lazarus got to experience both sides of death. Lazarus got to experience death before the resurrection, so he experienced death in Abraham's bosom. Then he was resurrected, and then he died again. <laughs> He's not still with us right? He died again. And he's going to experience the resurrection of his physical body to eternity by Jesus who defeated death, hell, and the grave. So Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. That doesn't make sense, does it? He who believes in me will live even if he dies. What he's saying is that something, there's a dynamic that's taking place, is that now because if, if you're in me, if you believe in me, if your faith is in me, when you die, something different is going to happen. You're not just going to go to Sheol. Now you're going to step. Paul defines it this way, that we, we, we go from this life to eternal life. Actually, the eternal life that we've already started in Christ. We step into the full realization of it. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I have believed that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes to the world. Mary believed that Jesus was the Son of God. She believed that he was the Messiah. 
And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, your sister, saying, secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now, why didn't she go the first time? Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, the mourners that were there, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, saying to him the same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Think they've had this conversation? I can't believe Jesus didn't come. I can't believe that Jesus didn't come. If Jesus had come, if Jesus, all he had to do was show up. If Jesus had shown up, he wouldn't have died. I can't believe he did this to us. Now, I don't think Mary is as mad as Martha was. I think she's hurt. It's like Martha comes out, she wants to confront Jesus. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Martha was like, I'm not, I'm not even going to bother I'm just going to stay here. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. The word here is actually that he was angered. He was angered. He was, he was, he was stirred up. This is the word that's used for the troubling of the pool. The... You know what happens when you get stirred up? Anybody here? There's so, and, and we don't know about, you know, we can make all kinds of guesses. We don't know why, but he's troubled. Is he, is he because he's angry at death? Uh, is he upset because of their unbelief? We don't know. It just says that he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Mary's disappointed because he didn't come when she expected him to come and she believed that Jesus loved her and he did love her. We know that scripture says he loved her. We know that disappointments come from expectations. Sometimes we create expectations that then end in disappointments. And a lot of times our expectations are unrealistic. We often create unrealistic expectations of other people, of our husband or our wife or our children or our parents or our employer. In other words, a lot of times we in our mind create, so none of y'all ever do this, but I've heard of people that do this. Uh, in our mind, we create the ultimate scenario and we feel like this is how it's going to go. We create an expectation. And then when it doesn't happen that way, we're disappointed because it doesn't fulfill what we expected. <laughs> you want to have some, some, some broken expectations? Get married. It's not going to be what you envision. Let's not say it's wrong. It's just not going to be what you expected. You want to be disappointed? Have children. I mean, they're great as long as they're not talking. 
There are, I mean, they're always great, but there are expectations that we create. And in those expectations we create, we put a weight on them and they have expectations of us. It puts a weight on us. We get disappointed. Mary's disappointed. She expected that Jesus would show up and he did. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? This is the third time that someone's accused him of not showing up when he should have showed up. I mean, I mean, uh, this is the guy who has healed all these people. Why didn't he show up and keep this man from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within came to the tomb, now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. For he'd been dead four days. So, you know, so Martha wants to make sure that Jesus understands. He's been dead four days. And you've, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, say this before. This is not anything new or fresh, but it's something I think needs to be, we need to remember, is that a lot of times people will say a truism about God. It's not the truth, but it's something that sounds like the truth. They'll say God is never late. You ever heard that? Well, God's never late. I would like to say to that, Baloney. God's late all the time. I mean, God purposely waited till Abraham and Sarah were old, too old to physically have a child on their own. God waited. He could have, they could have had a, he gave him the promise when he was young. He could have fulfilled it when he was young, but he didn't. He purposely waited till it was too late. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace. That's not how I want God to answer prayer. I want God to stop them as we're going in and everybody else die and we're good. Woo, look, God wins. I mean, don't you think they had a scenario of how they thought it was going to go? You think they thought they would be in the fire and that Jesus would be in the fire with them? If you're ever in the lion's den, God's late. I mean, there's a thousand other ways God could do that to where he didn't have to spend the night with the lions. But God didn't do it that way. When Jesus died on the cross... To everyone around, everyone thought, this is it. It's over. It's too late. You see, God is late all the time. The truth is, the truism is that God's never late. The truth is, it's never too late for God. He is the God of the resurrection. He is the God of the impossible. He's the God of the second chance. He's the God of the second chance for the thousandth time. Amen. It's never too late for God. 
So you have to remember, the purpose of this is to glorify God and glorify Jesus. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always, I knew that you always hear me, but because the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. This is one, this is an unusual prayer for Jesus because Jesus is not as actually praying this prayer. So people will recognize that he's praying to God, that God is doing this. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Augustine said that he had to say Lazarus or everybody would have come forth. The man who died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. It's like, I don't even know how he got out of the grave. He was he was bound up. Somehow he got up out of the grave and came out. He got up and came out some way bound hand and foot. And Jesus said, you know, unbind him and let him go. No one was more surprised about all of this than Lazarus. Right? He's like, what's God doing why God wait why doesn't he not work with our timetable why does he make us mesh with his timetable because what he is doing is glorifying God and he's glorifying Jesus you know Jesus didn't call Lazarus before this happened and said, hey, Lazarus, by the way, I want you to know, I'm going to have some tough days ahead. But it's going to be okay. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. So there was, that was, that was part of the purpose, wasn't it? To glorify God and glorify the Son. So people who hadn't believed when they saw that Lazarus had been raised from the dead it's hard for me to believe that there would be very many doubters after that. But, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. And from this point, this was, the, this was the defining moment that they said, okay, we got to kill him. This was the defining moment when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So they basically said, he ain't playing. If we're, the Rome, Rome is going to come and take away our nation and our place. If we don't deal with this, if we don't squash this rebellion. Jesus showed Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he loved them by giving them a greater revelation of who he was. That day, they understood more of Jesus than they ever understood. And it came in one of their darkest days. The greatest gift that God can give you, the greatest gift that you can receive is not for God to take away your troubles. 
And that's how I'm praying. Aren't you praying that way? But that's not the will of God. That's not the purpose of God. That's not even the plan of God. If all you're praying is, God, take away my troubles, you're going to miss what God's wanting to do. There was something that God wanted to do in this. He wanted to glorify the Father, and he wanted to glorify the Son, and he wanted his disciples to have a greater revelation of him because they needed it because they were about to face the biggest struggle they had ever faced. The greatest revelation, the greatest thing that God can do for you is often not answer the prayer the way that you thought he should answer it. But answer it in the way that gives him the most glory because you end up saying, man, I didn't think that was going to happen. There was no way. All the options were gone. It was the it was the midnight hour plus, and God came through. The greatest gift that God can give you is a revelation of who he is. Now, some of you are in dark days, difficult days, disappointing days, days that aren't going how you thought they would go. It doesn't seem fair. Right? What's God doing? What's, he, what's happening? What, what's God doing in my life? The one, the one thing he's always going to be doing in your life is that he, if he loves you, and he does love you, the main thing he is going to do is cause you to see and have a greater revelation of who he is than you had last week. That he is sufficient. He is your hope. He is the answer. He is the life. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you today. We open our hands. We admit that often what we do is try to give you a plan to follow. And then we pray our plan. And then we're disappointed when things don't work according to our plan. We feel like you've let us down. But Lord, we're not here to do our will. We're here to do your will. The eternal purpose of God is not to glorify me, but to glorify Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would help us <laughs> and trust you that you know what you're doing, even when you stay two, do two days longer, even when it doesn't look like the way we should look. We think it should look. You still have it in your hands. You're still able to change it. You're still glorious. You're still the King of Kings. You're still the Lord of Lords. So Lord, we want to trust you in the trouble. 
And we ask that in it, Lord, you would show us and give us the greatest gift, a greater revelation of you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Randy Hewitt. Randy, all right. Let me get this turned off.